Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the microphone with thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. Today's podcast is sponsored by Ernst & Young, LLP. We believe a better working world is achieved by helping our clients reduce risk, increase efficiency, and lower cost, while positively transforming the physical environments in which we work and live. Our teams help improve the corporate real estate function and assets under management through technology, operational improvement, and workplace strategy. EY, building a better working world. Connect with us to learn more about our real estate and workplace capabilities. Hey, you are listening to The Workplace Theater. This is the podcast where we go behind the scenes of corporate real estate, talking to industry experts about how they shape the next generation workplace. I'm your host, Sabine M. And in today's episode, I'm speaking with Victor Manningo. Victor is VP Global Market Development Asia Pacific at the International Wellbuilding Institute. Hi, everyone. Today, I'm for the very first time, actually, and I don't think my guest knows that, I'm speaking with someone in Asia. So this is a premiere for the podcast. Um, it's Victor Meningo. We met recently at a workplace strategy seminar, and I found what he had to say really interesting. So that's why I invited him and gladly he said yes. So hi, Victor. Hi, Sabine. Nice to see you again. Yeah, likewise, especially since it has been snowing here. And I know that Victor is in very beautiful, sunshiny weather. And he promised to send me pictures later of the beaches. So <laughs> something to look forward to for me. But let's start with the essentials. Victor, what do you do? Well, first, I'll start with obviously my name. My name is Victor Meningo, and I am the vice president for global market development for the International Well Building Institute, or IWBI, as it's also known. And I look after the Asia-Pacific region. So essentially, my primary role is to help assist the exponential growth that we're experiencing in this region. Asia is one of the fastest growing markets in the adoption of the well building standard. So I also support the larger IWBI team here, both regionally and globally, with a focus mainly on our Fortune 500 client base. So that's essentially what I do out here. And how did you get to do that? What is your professional background? Well, my professional background is actually in architecture. I practiced architecture, gosh, for about 16 years, uh, both in the United States, where I'm originally from, I'm from Los Angeles, and also in Asia. And practicing architecture is actually what brought me out to Asia in 2007. And what was supposed to be a two-year assignment <laughs> turned out to be a little longer. I've been here for about 14 years now. However, in about 2010, I took a hiatus from the design world to explore more of a global management role with a furniture design company. And over the course of uh, being with that company for the 10 years, I was given the privilege and opportunity to travel extensively and experience business practices all over the world. And uh, this experience gave me an uncensored peek behind the corporate curtain on how different people and different cultures live, work, and play. Most recently, I've joined IWBI. I've been with uh, the organization for about a year now. And since joining IWBI, it has actually allowed me to come back full circle to influencing the built environment 
but this time with a heavy bent on a deep passion of mine, which is health and well-being and creating uh, people-first places. I believe as well that a lot of organizations are looking towards well-building institute, generally well-building principles to guide what they're building for next generation's workplace experience, also in lights of sustainability. And I'm sure we'll dive in deeper a little more. But a question at the start, I'd be really curious, what do the well offices look like? It's an interesting question, because to be honest, no two well offices are the same. I mean, one may be an open floor plan with big windows and an updated HVA system. Another might be have access to a market with uh, fresh fruit and vegetables to encourage healthy eating. Or a project might incorporate bike racks so employees are encouraged to ride to work or have a dedicated room for new parents so they feel supported, their employees feel supported or just for a place to have a quiet place, you know, for a moment of mindfulness to rest and reset. But I think what people need to realize is that there are 10 well concepts in the standard that map out the parameters for well strategy. So there are many pathways a project can take. Projects have the flexibility to put more focus on design or if they want more on operations and management. It really comes down to based on what their needs are. Every office that is well certified is different with different features and concepts highlighted, but they first and foremost are designed for people first. One example is one client might have a plant wall and incorporate biophilia throughout their design, while another might invest more in the experience in the kitchen or the pantry, focusing more on nourishment. It really depends on what's important to the organization. One of the things is notably well certifications and offerings They go beyond the office. What we really try to do is impact communities and organizations as a whole. Everything from sports arenas to government buildings. We also help organizations with reporting in their engagement through their engagement with well through environmental, social, and governance. You know, their ESG factors. One note, and with regards to ESG is, you know, I think we all know that the E or the environmental sustainability aspect of ESG is relatively mature. We know how to measure it. There are several green certifications out there that provide the framework and metrics for it. And most organizations already know what they need to do in relation to their environmental sustainability plan. And then with regards to the G aspect of ESG, good governance is just good business policy. And it is expected by shareholders to truly have a global company. But for many organizations, it's that S part of the ESG that remains a bit of an, an enigma. And I think this is, you know, partly because many multinational companies already have very strict corporate social responsibility policies and programs. However, most of these programs, by and large, are voluntary, subjective, non-third party verified, and not internationally standardized. So investors and fund managers don't have a mechanism or a benchmark to compare one organization to another. And I think this, with health, equity, and well-being, a large part of social sustainability, I think that's where well can contribute by demonstrating a, a company's strong social sustainability initiatives. I know that was a long answer, but there's a lot to unpack in that. No worries. Um, also, what I noted as well recently is that a lot of people 
maybe companies uh, still think that the S is for sustainability, not really social. <laughs> so you know, and, 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 and that's part of the education process that we're going through. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, coming back to the office experience, and I think what you said around it, it's very different from organization to organization, and even location to location makes a lot of sense in light of the personalization that is trending as a theme for office experience. So yeah. I want to bring it on a personal level here as well. What do you personally appreciate about the office as an environment? So if you're pre you had the pick, what would the focus theme be? Well, you know, this is a, this is an interesting question because I've been in the I've been working for a long time. But what I personally appreciate about the office is that it's transformed so much from those remember those horrible days of cubicle farms in the 80s and 90s, you know, and I think it's transformed to more spaces and places that are more experiential and more people focused. Most of the offices today really focus on enhancing, you know, organizational culture experience so they can build a sense of community and while still providing a myriad of space typologies to give employees, you know, the ability to focus and do their best work. I think you've answered my next question with that, because I wanted to ask you, how do you see the purpose of the office? That's very similar, isn't it? It is. But I think, you know, I mean, one of the things is, you know, I, I, I had an interesting experience because I entered the office, uh, the workforce in the mid 90s. And I, the mid 90s was an interesting time because it was a time where I was entering the workforce where there was a transition from a very analog world into a digital one. And today, with the exponential rise of the integration of technology, and I know that's what you guys do as a business in the workplace, the use of data analytics, AI, AR, machine learning, and so much more, architects, uh, designers, and all of those involved in the built environment have so much richer information and data to work with to develop, you know, spaces and places that truly enhance where a person works. This is my own personal opinion, but I think, you know, technology has truly untethered us from the old factory work paradigm. And I always like to say it's liberated us from sitting within the confines of four walls with bad lighting, you know, breathing recycled air and no access to nature. I think the workforce of the future will expect, you know, flexibility in their working environments. But also that their on-site facilities will have to promote health and well-being for their occupants. My this opinion, and I, and I hear this a lot in the market, but I believe the purpose of the office moving forward, that it will be a, more of a place or rather a hub where organizations can kind of come together and connect, collaborate, celebrate, and build that organizational culture. I think I do see that happening already partially when there's choice given. 100%. I think it's one of the things that's happening today. You know, we used to look at the office as a place to go to do work. And I think what we're going to be looking now is we're going to be looking at where can we actually get the best task done for our work. So what's the best space typology for where we do our best work? I think that's going to be the next way. Um, and I think that leads into a lot of things that are happening in the market right now. Now, when we're looking at the office as one possible work point that the organization still providing and ideally providing to ESG standards, what are some of the things that companies can do wrong around healthy office design and employee well-being programs? I don't think you could do anything really wrong if you're, you know, if your intent is to build a healthy office. But having said that, I think a lot of companies 
might be under the assumption, and I hear this a lot in the market, that a lot of companies are under the assumption that a building's age impacts its ability to serve people. And that only new buildings or new design or new builds can be you know, designed for well-being. But we have a case study in Australia, which is 500 Collins Street, which is a 26-story building that was built in 1972, which means the building is over 50 years old. And it was able to achieve well at the platinum level. And I think that's one of the things that we work through. You know, the team works close with the, with, the, with the actual project team on rigorous testing on its water systems, thermal comfort, and air quality. So there's a lot of factors that go into, and the standard is very flexible to be able to accommodate that. Yeah, I think that's a really great approach to not dismiss old buildings just because they're old, but really take that deep dive look. As I um, was still a facility manager, we had a lot of buildings from the 70s and 80s. And yeah. uh, the problem for some of them was, of course, that there was asbestos in it. And then you couldn't really, you could hardly change things because then you'd like uncover the asbestos. And yeah, um, yeah that was a problem. But on to the other extent, I mean, it was still building structures that were very solid. It's just, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what makes, you know, the, you know it's really interesting because we had the well building standard version one that initially came out and it was very U.S. centric. I mean, it was originally uh, developed in the U.S. and we had a lot of learnings from that. So the well ver version two we internationalized the systems, meaning what we did is we made the system a little more, and I'll talk about this a little bit, and I think it's a little bit later, but we made the, the standard a lot more flexible to be able to accommodate different geographic locations and accommodate different cultures. So yeah, it gave a lot of, gave a lot more options to be able to work with different environments, um, especially construction and cultural differences. Mm. I have the feeling you're going to say it depends to my next question, <laughs> but I'm going to ask it anyways. So what does a well-designed and balanced workplace or building look like? So which features, technologies and equipment are in it? You're absolutely right. It does depend. I mean, I mentioned that I did mention this earlier. I mean, different. it looks different in different places and organization. And it really comes down to what it really, really comes down to is what an organization is trying to achieve. At IWBI, we understand that every organization is unique. So the program can be tailored, as I was mentioning earlier, to a company's business needs. That's why, you know, and I said, I, I mentioned this earlier, that the Well version two was designed to be more flexible and more customizable. It's a very flexible, customizable framework to meet the unique needs for the goals of each organization. Some organizations, you know, their priority is advancing strategic diversity, equity and inclusion solutions or enhancing an organization's climate and sustainable strategy. The standard draws on a pretty diverse interdisciplinary approach to make sure that there's an exhaustive set of strategies to accommodate what, you know, that organization is trying to achieve. Some examples are, and again, I, I do quite a bit of work in Australia and, and in Southeast Asia. And Australia tends to be a, a more mature market. And one of the things that I see quite often is projects putting really extensive end-of-trip facilities to encourage occupants to integrate physical activity into their daily routines uh, within those facilities. But what they also do is they also will provide a healthy vending machine, which provides a range of you know nutritious products that are low in sugar, artificial ingredients. And it, what it does, it just makes healthy snack easier and more convenient for those tenants. 
another client, what they've done is they've implemented or given their tenants access to an online educational portal, which that, you know, allows them access to healthy recipes, mindful exercises, tips on reducing stress. Naturally, those tools are invaluable, not just within the building, but it's tools that they can use to inform employees when they're at home as well. And just as another example, one of our clients even developed an internal app that sends regular COVID communication updates to their tenants as part of their emergency uh, you know, preparedness and educational tools. So what this does is also provides transparency to the organization and the deploys to what the organization is doing to keep their employees safe. So again, going back to the States, so needless to say, there's uh, several ways to integrate technology and equipment and into the building strategy. It really comes down to what's available out there and how creative you want to get with it. You noted earlier that there's 10 categories, dimensions that you can look at as Co part of correct. the Bell certification. Correct. How does the process work? How do I get my well certification? So the standard really is a cross bridge of building science, health science and behavioral science. And all of that come together to inform the DNA of well. The 10 concepts that I referred to really are for improving, you know, health and well-being strategies in the topics of air, water, nourishment, light, movement, sound, thermal comfort, materials, mind, and community. It really is a 360-degree approach to address how we experience, you know, buildings and places. Essentially, the well certification looks at building performance operations and management and how these can come together to have a positive impact on people's health and well-being. And all of this, it really just promotes data-driven strategies, and it's all backed by scientific research to enhance building performance through a comprehensive, that comprehensive framework of 10 concepts. And the goal is really to create an optimal IEQ or indoor environmental quality. So those are the 10 concepts that we focus on. I was just really impressed you had all 10 in your mind by heart. <laughs> we, we, it's, it's, it's ingrained. <laughs> ingrained, yeah. We have like seven company values and I always miss out at least on one, mostly two. So <laughs> that is a very good. Thanks, thanks. It's... Now, looking a bit at the current situation, we do have the chance and we tapped upon it to think differently about how can we work better? How can we see the office as a place for certain tasks and other work environments for other tasks. So what are, in your opinions, the things that need to change to enable that? Well, you know, I mentioned this earlier, and I've been going to quite a few real estate seminars and just listening to, uh, you know, one of them was the one that we attended and just listening back to the end users. And I think the workforce of the future will really be around flexibility flexibility around the working environments. I think that's going to be the key to corporate workplace solutions. But that can mean many things to different people and organizations. But what I think it really means is putting people first and then keeping an open mind on how they move forward with their real estate solutions. What I'm currently also hearing back from clients out in the market currently is that workplace solutions are going to be more task-based rather than location-based. I mentioned that earlier as well. Uh, meaning for an organization to yield the most productivity from their employees, they need to provide access and empower empowerment for workers to choose when and where they do their best work, whether it's in the office or a third space or the kitchen table. And I think those can be 
empowered and, and, and the tools can be provided by, you know, a form of a combination of HR policies and technology solutions. And another key point is, again, what we're doing is I, I think in order for organizations to be competitive and retain the best people, they will need on-site facilities to promote health and wellness. I mean, if the past 24 months has shown us anything, it's that the demands and expectations are shifting from the boardroom to the supply chain and everywhere in between people and planet are the center of that change. And I think focusing on people and planet initiatives will be extremely important moving forward and providing that flexibility to accommodate those spaces and places for employees will be significant as well. Yeah. That flexibility and especially hybrid work has presented mm. challenges though. Maybe AV equipment that's not working in the office or internet bandwidth not working and also people suffering a little, I think, especially during the lockdown of like Zoom fatigue and these things. Has your work changed or been changed through that development? I think I've been kind of in a really unique situation, me personally. Over the course of the last, I would, wow, over the last seven years, I've been a remote worker. So nothing has really, really changed for me. Even with my previous role, I was put into emerging markets to help develop a market. So I was never really connected to the HQ. So this, all of this is not necessarily new. And I think what organizations have been doing, they've been talking about all of these, the changing work paradigm and incorporating technology. And I think what the pandemic did was really just kind of fast forward all of that. I mean, it, it forced us into this. And I think you mentioned it in one of your newsletters. It really was kind of an experiment, global experiment in, in workplace. So yeah, for me personally, it hasn't changed. But I think for most people, you know, this hybrid work is going to be something that's going to be interesting because what I'm hearing back from the market is, you know, hybrid work allows the individual worker to reap the benefits of a more kind of cohesive work-life balance. I don't know if you've been hearing that as well. But I think, you know, there's some critical things that we need to also work on uh, with regards to that. And I think, again, these are my thoughts. There's three of them out there. The first being providing the appropriate technology. You kind of alluded to that. Do we have the appropriate technology? The second one, which I think is a little more difficult with regards to Harvard work, is kind of mitigating this idea of proximity bias. I know I felt that having been a remote worker for you know almost seven years. And then I think the third, again, which I think is the most important, is creating this idea of people first places. And Focus on the health and well-being, you know, whether it's for employees that choose to come into the office or ensuring that those that work remotely have the appropriate uh, tools that we alluded to earlier to be able to do their best work. Well, I've just recently heard because I was at a conference last week was as well. As workplace managers, corporate real estate managers, we kind of we know the four walls of the office, right? And things, how we're doing things there changes now a little bit. But as you said, it's kind of a fast forward. We were working towards activity-based and more mm. focused on collaborative already. What's come in new is how much do companies invest both financially and also like thoughts into home office environments? Is there like, here's your hundred bucks allowance, do whatever you want. Or is there a little bit of a guidebook or do they have a furniture vendor that people can shop from or do they not care at all? And it's like, okay, you're home, you do what you want, don't care, which I think is a little short-sighted because it can have an impact on the worker's health 
in the end. I agree. You know, it was really interesting. You know, the trend prior to pre-pandemic was this kind of resimercial type of uh, scenario in the office. We were making our offices look more like our homes, and now we're going to make our homes look more like the office. <laughs> True. So, I have yeah. it like that. <laughs> yeah, so I, th I think you're absolutely correct. I absolutely correct. And it's going to be an interesting challenge for organizations because they're going to have to work through that, right, themselves. You know, is it an allowance? Is it a stipend? Is it a methodology? Some of the organizations I'm speaking to is uh, they're creating, they're looking at their whole organization and they're creating personas, you know, and then there's a percentage breakdown of what persona goes into the office and work from home. So interesting times. Yeah. When you said the office becomes more the home, the home becomes the office. I was thinking there hasn't been a catalog to order your cubicle from yet for the home, but that <laughs> might come. Although it's not true. I saw in the Nordics region that some a company built like these kind of cubicle container situation structure that you could put in your garden so that the home office would actually not be in the home, but kind of secluded. So if that if you had kids or whatever, you could still have your silent space and be separately. I think there's going to be a multitude of solutions that are going to come out of this, yes. um, <laughs> you know, this, this is situation that we're all in. But I think I think at the end of the day, it really is going to be, um, come down to where do we do our best work? You know, and what is the type of work that we do and where do we uh, do our best work? And I think, you know, it's going to be an interesting time. Yeah. While we're in the solution space, I um, mm. have a question that I ask all my guests. And that is, mm. if you could magically solve any healthy office problem, what would it be? Well, again, I'll always go back to what I felt was one of the more difficult times that I had, you know, working in this. I think if I could magically solve any office, healthy office problem, I think it would be coming up with an empirical way to measure psychological safety. It's one of those things that we cannot observe objectively and understand what others or even ourselves are going through, especially during a stressful time. And it's definitely one of those things that became very evident the last 24 months. You know, people were unsure of what the future was going to be, you know, whether they were going to have a job or whether they could even do their job from their homes. And it's such a subjective condition with each person, you know, with a different tolerance level or trigger for stress. Yet it's one of those things that can really adversely affect how we feel about work, productivity, and even our relationships. So while everyone talks about the Ill, Ill effects of stress, we all consume so much of it, whether it's internally or externally imposed. But if we had a way to measure it and we could individually deal with it, I think that would be, we would be able to create happier and healthier and more productive workplaces. Yeah, there is that saying, whatever you measure gets managed and in the yeah, end there is a solution. So I yeah, tend to agree with that. But um, I think we're going to need a magic wand for this one. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, we might have to forward another, fast forward another hundred years or so. And yeah. we're all like interconnected with our brains and we can understand everything in an objective way. I think Elon Musk is working on something. So <laughs> <laughs> he uh, for sure is. Yes, I think so as well. I have a last question. It's kind of a selfish one. Who else should I have on the podcast and what would you like to ask them? Oh, I think this is a great question. It's like one of those questions where, you know, if you could have dinner with anyone oh, in the world, yeah. Would, yeah, right? It's one of those. No. Well, since we're talking about workplace, I think the thing that's influenced the workplace, I think, uh, so much has, has been technology. And because technology evolves at such an exponential rate, I think most IT companies have kind of an envisioning team 
that looks at what's happening with the evolution of, you know, of their own personal tech and how it will affect the world around us, including workplace and how we do our best work. So I won't name any specific companies, but I do know that there are teams out there that look at the workplace that evolve, you know, you know how the workplace will evolve in five, 10, even 15 years down the line. So I think if you could find someone, I think it would be great to get someone with that background and that experience to really understand what they're looking at on how technology will influence the workplace of the future. I think that would be really interesting. Definitely. I'll have a look into that, find out some names. For a second, <laughs> I thought you were going to say Elon Musk because I had that uh, well, you, before. I know. I, I, sh I should have. I mean, he, 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 we could talk about how he's going to get us all interconnected with them. We won't have to guess anymore. Thank you so much, Victor. It's been a true pleasure. I'm going to let you go on with your evening, I think, already for you. Yeah, thanks again for coming on. Well, thank you for having me. It's been such a pleasure. And it was nice to see you again. And hopefully um, one of these days you can come out to Asia and we can meet in person. I think that would be awesome. At the beach. <laughs> At the beach, exactly. Thanks for listening. If you have enjoyed this episode of The Workplace Leader, there's more. Go visit our blog and have a look at some of the other topics we have covered. We've just released the definitive guide to workplace analytics, for instance. Or tune in to our next episode of The Workplace Leader. This concludes this episode of What's Next. Want to record a podcast of your own? Have an idea or point of view you'd like to share? Visit cornetglobal.org to learn more.